Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. The founders understood that a free press was the bulwark against tyranny. In the system they set up, they understood that they created inherent tensions between leaders and the press. Historically, those tensions have served us well, as it has motivated both sides to do better. Sometimes the tensions have burst forth into full-scale political warfare. Trust-busting, Teapot Dome, Watergate, and Joe McCarthy are a few examples. McCarthy knew, as despots all know, that if he could undermine the press, make them the enemy, then you can get away with a whole lot. In 1954, Ed Murrow, the most noted journalist of his time, also knew this and understood the importance of the free press as a load-bearing pillar of all of our democratic institutions. Murrow believed that if McCarthy had gone further in his vilification of the press, a very democracy could be at risk, and that the responsibility rested with each and every one of us to take action. Let's listen. We will not walk in fear one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine. And remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to speak, to associate, and to defend causes that were for the moment unpopular. This is no time for men who oppose Senator McCarthy's methods to keep silent, or for those who approve. We can deny our heritage and our history, but we cannot escape responsibility for the result. There is no way for a citizen of a republic to abdicate his responsibilities. As a nation, we have come into our full inheritance at a tender age. We proclaim ourselves as indeed we are, the defenders of freedom wherever it continues to exist in the world. But we cannot defend freedom abroad by deserting it at home. The actions of the junior senator from Wisconsin have caused alarm and dismay and given considerable comfort to our enemies. And whose fault is that? Not really his. He didn't create this situation of fear. He merely exploited it, and rather successfully. Cassius was right. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Today, similar threats from Donald Trump, who calls the press the enemy of the people, are arguably a true threat to our democratic institutions. And who better to write and talk about this than one of Ed Murrow's last protégés, my guest, Marvin Kalb. Marvin Kalb is a senior advisor to the Pulitzer Center. He's a non-resident senior fellow at Brookings. He's the Murrow Professor Emeritus at Harvard, a former network correspondent at CBS and NBC, a one-time host of Meet the Press, and the author of several books. It is my pleasure to welcome Marvin Kalb here to talk about his newest work, Enemy of the People. Marvin, thanks so much for joining us. So it's my pleasure to be with you, and I'd love hearing Murrow's voice again. One of the things that, that Murrow was concerned about, and, and you write about this, is that he really was afraid for democracy, that he thought that democracy wasn't something that was inevitable, that it could be undone. Well, one of the things that, that Murrow used to talk to me about a great deal was his time covering the rise of Hitler in Germany in the mid-1930s. Ed, at that time, was just starting up CBS News, what it, what it came to be. And he was in Germany very often. He saw what was happening, and he became very frightened by what he saw. And when he went to England and from there ended up covering World War II, he always had the feeling that democracy is 
a fragile institution. It is marvelous. It is wonderful while you have it. But it's not there forever. It's not sort of rooted in concrete. It is something that could be weakened, something that could be lost. And in the early 1950s, when he saw what Senator McCarthy was doing to American freedom and democracy, Murrow decided he had to take action. He felt that it was the individual responsibility of every citizen to do what he could. And Murrow thought what he could do best was get on the air and point out McCarthy's failings and his danger to democracy, and that's what Ed did. And as you see it, how similar is the time that we're in now? Well, I think what is happening right now is, of course, different, and um, a president is different from a senator. Um, McCarthy was a senator. He was not a president. He did not have the power that a president has. What we are witnessing right now is a president who believes that by demeaning the press by constantly saying it's a fake news. You don't take it seriously. It's a joke. It's a hoax. That that when the press comes up with hard information, true fact about what it is that Trump has done or is doing, Trump believes that by demeaning the press, most Americans won't believe what it is that the press says. So what he has in mind is a very practical, political thing. But what he appears not to focus on is the fact, the true fact, that the press is in America one of the foundations of American democracy. That when you attack the press, you are attacking one of the foundations of our democracy weaken the press, humiliate the press, you are weakening and humiliating democracy. And I want to believe that President Trump, deep in his soul somewhere, there is a residue of old-fashioned patriotism that he will come to understand that the tactic he is using right now is a losing tactic. I say that in full recognition of the fact that so far it has been a winning tactic. And what it also does is it puts the press on the defensive in a way. I mean, it's a little yes. like to use a sports metaphor, working the refs. No, that's a very, very good point. Um, when you are dealing, the, the press instinctively, let me put it this way, the press instinctively most reporters, I'm not talking about every single one of them, but most reporters want to do a good job. They want to get at the facts. They want to get at them as fairly but as quickly as they can. And they want to be successful at what it is that they do. All of those are perfectly natural and understandable um, professional instincts. However, when you are constantly being called a fake operation, fake news, enemy of the people, you begin to be somewhat defensive about what it is that you say. The head of the BBC, the British Broadcasting Company, just recently made this same point, that if the press is humiliated on a daily basis, it begins to look at itself in the mirror and wonder whether it's really – 
as good as it thinks it is. Now, everybody can be better. That's not the point. The point is that you are being put on the defensive, and that means that the politician who does that is on the offensive, and this politician, in this case our president, believes very much that this is a successful tactic, and the polling data that one sees in recent weeks and months suggests that it is successful from his point of view. More and more Americans believe you can't trust the press. More and more Americans believe that the press deliberately puts out misleading information to attack the president, deliberately does that. And of course, that's not true. But more and more people believe it is. And that's the problem. How much of that, Marvin, in in your view, how much comes from the fact that over the years, long before Trump, that that the press, particularly as it relates to television news, has become so conflated with entertainment. And and how has that added to this problem now when somebody like Trump comes along? That's a good point again. Um, I think that the press has been on a very slow slide ever since the Nixon administration. When the vice president of the day, Spiro Agnew, attacked the press as the nattering nabobs of negativism. He began to attack the press, and that became for conservatives in this country. Many members of the Republican Party, although you don't have to be a Republican to think this way, they began to think that the press um, had many faults, does, it really does, but it's the best press we've ever had, it's the best press anywhere in the world. And that free press requires tolerance, but it also is the sort of press that was having less and less clout with the American people. When President Trump came along, he spotted that, he knew that, um, and he rushed into it and really began to attack the press so that the number of people having questions about the press, as I was mentioning a moment ago, that number has gone up. And the president's tactics, by belittling the press at all times, has played into that. And it is, as I said, it is a tactic that is not a pretty one in a democracy. It generally is associated with authoritarian leaders, even with dictators. And I, and I must say, Jeff, the, the thing that really compelled me to write this book, I, I don't enjoy, after 60 years, more than 60 years now, in this business, I am happier just reporting the news, truly. I am not happy putting my own opinions into a story or a book. However, when the president began to speak of the press as the enemy of the people, My mind shot back, inevitably, I guess, to the time that I was covering the Soviet Union in the 1950s and 60s, way back then. And at that time, the communist leader was Nikita Khrushchev. He delivered a very powerful speech attacking Joseph Stalin in February of 1956. And one of the things he did not like about Stalin, 
and he said that in the communist world we should not use this any longer, was the phrase, enemy of the people. When Stalin used it, as Hitler used it, as Mao Zedong used it, dictators used it in the 20th century when they wanted to isolate a critic. You isolate the critic, you weaken the critic, and ultimately you kill the critic. And the phrase enemy of the people for Nikita Khrushchev was too ugly a phrase to use even in communist society. So when Trump began to use that, I, I, I was stunned. I was asking myself, why in God's name would he do this? I realized after a while why he was doing it. That didn't make it any better. He is perhaps unwittingly associating himself with the most authoritarian leaders of the 20th century. It's not something that the leader of a democracy ought to be doing, and yet he is doing just that. And you keep wondering why. What is in the back of his mind? It does beg that question, towards what end, as far as Trump is concerned? Towards what end? I think the end is not some radical transformation of American politics. I think in the president's mind, what he wants is a continuation of his position of presidential power. He wants to be able to say that he is going to win the, the Republicans would win the upcoming elections. Um, and that means he heads off with the Republicans remaining in charge of the house and the Senate. He heads off the possibility of impeachment. He heads off the possibility of a series of investigations about his income tax and the way in which he acquired the many, many millions he has. And if he retains Republican control, he heads that off and then he puts himself in a good position to be reelected in 2020. So the press is a fundamental um, target for him in acquiring the political ends that I've just articulated. How different is what Trump is doing? Maybe, in, you know, it's less sophisticated, it's more boisterous, it's noisier, but how different is it really than what Nixon did when he had his own enemies list and, and people like yourself were on it? Yeah, it, I think it's profoundly different. First of all, uh, Nixon's enemies list was a private list. He had that at the White House among a small number of people who knew about it. It was not a political weapon that you boasted about, that you get on television and talk about all the time. It's a totally different concept. What he wanted to do was have a small list, which he called an enemies list, and the people on it, as I was, would you people on it could be, their phones could be tapped, income tax checked, all kinds of things. Um, followed when you're covering a story. Um, these were terrible things that Nixon was doing, but the difference between the two in my mind is that Nixon was a professional politician. He lived within the rules established by the American structure. And he had been a congressman, he'd been a senator, he'd been a vice president, he'd been a president. He'd been everything. And so 
when he saw the handwriting on the wall, rather than tear the temple down with him, he resigned and went off to California and wrote books and did speeches. Donald Trump is a totally different mm -hmm. political personality. He is not of the system. He's an outsider who is now in the system. And if the system turns against him, which it might do, he feels that he cannot accept that. And the idea of tearing the temple down becomes something that you must consider in a serious way. I would never have imagined that an American president would do this because all of them had in some way or another served the country and felt an allegiance to the country. Uh, Donald Trump had not. He had never been in the military. He'd never won an election. And he's incredibly smart when it comes to ways in which you read the American people, what it is that they want. And he knows sort of the, the terrific instinct on ways in which you play to the crowd. And that is what he does almost on a daily basis as he campaigns now. Given all of that, what, if anything, does the press need to do differently in dealing with someone like Donald Trump, given that, that it is a unique black swan kind of event? What might the press do differently? It's a wonderful question, and it's one that I've asked myself a hundred times and that I've been in many, many conferences where we've talked about that. We always end up saying essentially the same thing, and I'm going to give that to you because I do deep down at the end of the day believe that's the only thing we can do. I believe that the reporters of today are as good as the reporters in Murrow's time, but they live in a totally different environment in which the new technology, in which the Internet plays a fundamental role, social media plays a huge role. What can the reporter do? Cover the news. It sounds trite, and I appreciate that. Cover the news as fairly, as accurately. Take your time if you have to. Do a lot of investigative reporting. And spend your time not seeking to beat social media with an event. Forget that. Spend your time figuring out why an event is happening, why a particular politician is succeeding or failing. Take your time, dig deeply, figure out why things are happening, and only then tell the, the American people what's up. That would suggest there's going to be more investigative reporting, and that's good. But most important, more careful reporting, not dependent on time. Let social media do that. You report the news as clearly, fairly as you can. Will this then, in your view, have an impact on the future of journalism even after Trump is gone? Well, after Trump is gone, of course, nobody knows at this stage whether... Uh, what is America going to look like after mm -hmm. Trump is gone? Um, first of all, I don't know whether he's going to be a one-term president, a half-a-term president, or a two-term president. 
if it's going to be a two-term president, he is going to be a figure who will leave a huge uh, legacy behind him. I don't think it'll be a good legacy at all, but it's going to be huge, consequential, very important. And is that going to drag America down into the mud or raise us up? I see no evidence that Trump is raising us up, except perhaps on the stock market and people who are in the market find that good. And that's great. Fine. Make a lot of money is very good. I have no problem with that, whatever. But what you should be doing as a journalist is keeping your eye on the sparrow's fall. That's a phrase that Eric Severide used on me the first time many, many years ago. Keep your eye on the sparrow's fall. Keep your eye on the news, the important news of the day. And don't get distracted by a lot of nonsense because there is a lot of nonsense. And if there is, let other people do that. Let let social media people do that. Let um, people on their various websites do that. If you're working for a newspaper, a network, a radio station, again, keep your eye on the sparrows fall. Keep your eye on what's important. Talk a little bit about the multiplier <laughs> effect that that the attacks on the, the media are having. As our founders saw it, it existed as a column that supported so many other institutions. And to the extent that it is being attacked, it can't help but impact other institutions. Well, if the press is attacked, I go back to something that Morrow taught me many, many years ago. I asked him about democracy and he told me a story about, and I have this story in the book, by the way. Mm-hmm. He told me a story about the Oxford Don who asked Murrow once, what was the definition of democracy? And Murrow said two things, the sanctity of the court and the freedom of the press. If you have those two foundational structures in place, Democracy has an excellent chance of surviving and being strong. But if one of those two foundations weakens, wobbles, shakes, the whole foundation then will wobble, weaken, and shake. And Ed's point was those two issues, a a court system, a judicial system in which no one figure, even a president, is held to be above the law, and the other is the freedom of the press so that there are always people there who can speak truth to power. That is an essential element of a democracy. And a final point that I sort of picked up over the years is that democracy is a word. It is a word that has power when people believe in it. It is simply a word that's discardable if people vest in it no belief, no credibility, no importance. So it is crucially important that we understand the essence of democracy so that it has meaning for us all. And that was that was Murrow's view um, Um, sort of embroidered a bit by me over the years, but that's essentially what I have tried to say in this book. 
you've got to you've got to have fundamental beliefs in what is at the heart and soul of American democracy, or we're going to lose it. It is not anchored in concrete. It is a fragile instrument. If we have it, let us treasure it. Let us strengthen it if we can. Let us not, by all means, let us not weaken it. Marvin Kalb, his book is Enemy of the People. It's just out from Brookings Institution Press. Marvin, I thank you so much for spending time with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.